0: John 20, 24 through 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nail nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. seen and yet have believed jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name this was the word of the lord you may be seated
1: Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. That's my daughter. Yeah. Uh, My name is Tyler Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Arcadia. Uh, You might connect with me if you're interested in connecting with uh, worship ministry. You you might also talk with me if you're interested in small group ministry, although uh, Caitlin is apparently much better at me than getting people into groups. And so (laughs) if you'd like to talk about small groups, keep talking to Caitlin, and she'll get you set up with that. Um, I'm happy to point you in the right direction as well. Uh, also, men's and women's Bible studies and uh, any kind of discipleship type groups that we have here at Redemption Arcadia. Uh, super thankful to be able to uh, share with you this morning out of John chapter uh, 20. Uh, but I do want to have an, uh, make an ask of you. That's different than another thing. I want to make an ask of you this morning right off the bat. And that is that I would like to ask you, we as a pastoral staff would like to ask you... Um, You might notice that in the past several weeks, our attendance has continued to increase steadily, which is a very good thing. Um, We're thankful for your presence here. But we want to ask you if you might regularly try to sit a little bit more forward and in the middle of the aisles. Now, that's a thing that churches do every once in a while, to ask their people to scoot forward and scoot in. And we don't actually want to force that on you, but we do want to ask you about that so that you could make room for your friends and your neighbors and coworkers and et cetera that will be coming to Redemption Arcadia in the coming months. Uh, We do have a long-term discussion going on on how to make more room for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. But in the meantime, we'd love for you to, if possible, sit farther forward and towards the middle of the aisles and that would be a big help to us at Redemption Arcadia. Uh, Speaking of making more room, we're going to have three services on Easter, and so those times are going to be 7.30, 9, and 10.45 a.m. We want to also encourage you, if you can, to come to the 7.30. Uh, but uh, we understand that, uh, that some of you will enjoy the 9 and the 1045 as well, and we're thankful for that. We're going to have baptisms on Easter Sunday, and so uh, if you're interested in being baptized, you would want to connect with Pastor Frank Switzer, and, and he will help connect you uh, with the process for baptism. So we hope that many of you will uh, choose to be baptized on Easter Sunday and that you'll join us at any of those services, 730 9, and 1045. Amen. Well, we're going, to <laughs> we're going to look at John chapter 20 today, and this is the example of Thomas, or in other words, what to do with your doubt uh, in John chapter 20. Now, this is post-resurrection. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and risen again, and he has appeared uh, already uh, to Mary, Magdalene, and the women. Uh, he has... Uh, appeared already uh, to the disciples, uh, and Pastor Tyler James and Pastor Trey covered those passages in the last couple of weeks, Um, and today he is appearing to Thomas, who we oftentimes call Doubting Thomas. Now, he gets a bad rap. Unfortunately, he's called Doubting Thomas, but this guy, one of the disciples, uh, was much more than just his doubts. And so I'll say one thing just off the top of the bat, if you are a person that is here this morning and you have doubts, welcome. We're glad that you're here. This is the best place to work out your doubts and your questions. We wanna be a place that you can do that here at Redemption Arcadia. So thank you for being here this morning. So there are a few different kinds of people in the room today. Uh, There are people here who believe and believe without any doubt. Uh, that are just happy to accept the truth of Jesus Christ, aren't hindered by very many questions, Jesus said, it's, uh, Jesus said it, it's true so I believe it kind of person. If you're that kind of person, we're glad that you're here as well. Thank you, we need you as part of the body of Christ and we're thankful that you're here today and we'll talk a little bit more. There's room for you in this story as well. There are those of you that are in this room that are kind of the I'll believe it when I see it type of people. Now those type of people get a bad rap also. Because think about our world today, much of us would say, I'm gonna believe things when I see that they're true, right? Would you raise your hand if you're that kind of person? Yeah, there's no shame in that. Uh, Sometimes we spend so much time beating up on doubting Thomas for being a doubter, that we miss the opportunity to look in this passage and proclaim that the truth of Jesus Christ is rooted in reality. It's rooted in something that you can see and feel and touch and taste and smell. One of the best things about this passage is that God is proclaiming through the example of Thomas that the reality of resurrection is a real thing that you can experience. And so those of you that are in this room that would say, I'll believe it when I see it, there's a place for you here too. Because much of us would applaud your your trust in reality. And I don't think that this passage is negating that. And there are some of you in this room that might also be holding out on belief still to this point. That you might not actually buy any of the arguments for the resurrection. And that you, to this point, are saying, I will never believe. And if that's you, we're also thankful that you're here and hope that this word of God, by his spirit, will speak to you this morning. So throughout history, many inventions, many wonderful productions that humanity has achieved, people were skeptical of them uh, as they were being developed. I read this week that the light bulb, for example, when Thomas uh, Edison was working on the light bulb, people were hugely skeptical and said, I'll believe it when I see it. And then, of course, the light bulb was invented. Same thing happened with Alexander Graham Bell uh, with the, uh, the telephone. And as he was working on the, uh, the, the telephone, uh, there was sort of skeptics saying, I'll believe it when I see it. And now many of us in this room, I, w- I would probably say almost all of us in this room, have one of them in our pocket. It happened with the automobile and with the airplane, with the personal computer, that people said, I'll believe it when I see it. The most important distinction between that and what we're talking about here. Is that in each of those situations, there was wishful thinking that one day, this thing will come into reality. But with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we proclaim that this has already been accomplished. That this work has already been done. That he has indeed gone to be crucified. He was buried. And yes, he was risen again. And whether or not we have seen that, it is the truth. And so the question becomes, do we believe it? And the example of Thomas gives us, one, an example of how we can believe, though we have doubts, and two, it gives us a clear blueprint about what to do with our doubts. You ready for our passage? John 20, verse 24, we'll start there. Charlotte read it. By the way, I'm pulling for St. Peter's today in the March Madness game. I believe it when I see it. <laughs> right on cue. Right on cue. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, when I first started working on this passage, this, uh, this line just jumped out to me. Why is Thomas not with the disciples at this moment? Uh, Thomas, who is called the twin. Uh, I looked up the, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek for that. By the way, the Greek for that, uh, that name for Thomas is Gonzaga. The Greek for that word is Gonzaga. You don't believe me? All right, it's not Gonzaga. And they're out of the tournament, so I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not believing in Gonzaga ever again. Um, the point here with the Hebrew and the Greek for the word uh, twin is that both of the Greek and the Hebrew words are actually saying the same thing. Uh, Thomas and Didymus are both saying twin, that he's called twin. And many scholars think that either he was born with, as a twin, he was born with a, a twin, um, or that he was oftentimes uh, paired up with somebody, another disciple, and so they started to call him, him twin. Uh, one commentator that I read uh, said that he is actually our twin. In other words, we need to see in ourselves Thomas as we look at our own doubts and concerns and questions that we have. I appreciated all of those views. So Thomas is not with him, and I wondered, why is Thomas not in the room in this moment? Well, as I've already said, Thomas has been given a bad rap. And so I wanted to look at a couple of other things where Thomas uh, was mentioned in in the scriptures earlier in the book of John so that we can have a a little better understanding about who he is and what his character is. So so Thomas is also mentioned in John chapter 11, and it'll be up on the screen here, so you don't have to necessarily uh, turn there. But in John chapter 11, it says this, uh, Lazarus uh, has died, and Jesus is going to be going back to Jerusalem to uh, be with Lazarus and grieve with Lazarus and then ultimately raise Lazarus uh, from the dead. Thomas is mentioned here in, in John 11, verse 14 and 16. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. This is a really interesting comment. Uh, remember, John is writing the whole gospel account so that we would believe. Jesus is saying it's better that I wasn't there so that you'll believe, so the disciples will go, but let us go to him. So Thomas, verse 16, called the twin, Said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, how many of you, when you've heard about Thomas, remember this being said about Thomas? Not me. I actually had to look back, at, even though we've been preaching through John, I had to look back and remember, oh, yeah, Thomas was the guy who said, Let's go to Jerusalem with Jesus so we can die. Imagine that. Now, this is doubting Thomas, the person who we have now attached to his identity, that he's a doubter. And he was was the one of the disciples who said, let's go with him to Jerusalem so that we can die with Jesus. That Thomas would give his life. So Thomas is actually the one who says, Jesus, I want to go where you are going, even if it costs me my life. Now, that's a different perspective on Thomas that I appreciate. Also in John 14, in John 14, verses 4 through 7, uh, Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to the Father. And you know the way to where I'm going, he says in verse 4. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I love this passage as well, that Thomas is the one not only who says, Jesus, I want to go where you're going, but Thomas is also saying, if you're not there, I don't want to go. He's, he's worried about where is Jesus headed because he doesn't want to be left without Jesus. And I also appreciate the, the emphasis that Jesus makes in that point about, you've seen now God. That from this passage, and even earlier in the Gospel of John, John opens John 1 by saying, We have beheld his glory. We've seen him. We've eaten with him. We've drank with him. We've walked with him. We've slept in the same crowded place as him. That John knows God by these experiences that he has with him. And Thomas wants to know where Jesus is. So Thomas is the one who says, I want to go where you're going. Jesus, I I don't want to go where you're not going. A couple of uh, worship artists have actually picked up on this. Uh, Trey Fraley's one of his favorite artists is Chris Renzema. And Chris Renzema uh, sings about this. I don't want to go if you're not going before me. I don't want to go if you're not going before me. And Avalon sings this as well. I don't want to go somewhere if I know you're not there. Caleb's uh, favorite worship song is, If you go, I go. Yeah, Caleb hates that song. Don't ever (laughs) sing that song around Caleb. Yeah, that's right. But the Christian worship scene has actually picked up on this idea of, we want to be a people who go where Jesus goes. We don't want to go where Jesus is not. And Thomas was actually that kind of person. And so we learn from the example of Thomas that your doubts don't define you. If you're a person that has doubts, you're not defined by those doubts. Instead, there's much more to you that Jesus wants to work with in your case. And so the other disciples, back in our chapter 20, in verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, that's a testimony. So far, we've talked about experiences. We've also talked about testimonies now. That phrase, we have seen the Lord, is the same phrase Phrase that Mary said to the disciples after she saw the Lord Rabboni in the garden. That phrase, we have seen the Lord, is becomes the testimony of the church in the resurrection age. We have seen the Lord. Mary says it to the disciples, the disciples say it to Thomas, that his resurrection has been evidenced by testimony and eyewitness. But Thomas responds in verse 25. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Gross. I don't want anything to do with putting my hand in Jesus' holes. I'm I'm not into it. I'm not into it. Gross. But Jesus... Jesus is going to meet Tom and the, Thomas in the place of his doubts. Now, before again, we're, before we're too harsh on Thomas, before we're too harsh on Thomas, he's just saying that if this is true, I want to see it for myself. And many of us would have the same reaction. There might be things in your life already. Whether it's St. Peter's or something else, that you are waiting to see before you believe. And many of us actually have practical doubts. You've heard of practical atheists before. You're not an atheist, but you may live as though you're an atheist. Many of us are practical doubters, that we have doubts, things that we question about who God is. We question God's goodness, we question God's faithfulness, we question God's power. We live as though we're practical doubters. And we say, I'll believe it when God comes through in this way. When God does this, I'll believe. And you've heard the prayers. God, if you come through in this moment, I'll believe. Oftentimes, we live as practical doubters in this world. But again, before we be too harsh on Thomas, many of us, many of us would have these kinds of doubts when things don't make sense. Not only are we not defined by uh, our doubts, but also we want to have grace for one another and understand that there are times that things just don't make sense to us, that we have doubts and they appear because the world just doesn't seem to add up, and there's grace for that. Part of the point of this whole process of wrestling with our doubts is that there is a God who is higher than us that understands better than ever ever what we will understand, And so in the example of Thomas, he says, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to be like Thomas in that. I'm just saying there's grace for that, that many of us are the same way. And there's a lot of Thomas in each of us. So Thomas puts a, a, a boundary line and says, unless I get to actually touch Jesus... I won't believe. But if we take that in context of who he is, that he only wanted to go where Jesus goes, he only wanted to be where he was, he didn't want to go where Jesus wasn't, we can understand why he wasn't with the disciples in the first place when Jesus appeared. Because Jesus wasn't there. So Thomas is missing from the room because Jesus isn't there. He's the guy who says, I want to go where Jesus is. And if Thomas is not in the room, it means Jesus is not there. But there's another reason that Thomas isn't in the room. It's this. It's that for all of us who have these same doubts, Jesus wants to meet the doubter in the place of his doubts or her doubts. And so for all of us that have these doubts, we can look back on this story and we say, it is grounded in reality. Yes, there are those who believe without seeing, but Thomas put his hands into the side of Jesus and it was a real deal. And our hearts can rest assured in that reality. Verse 26 says this, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now, I love this for a few reasons. Eight days later is sort of like saying on the eighth day. It's sort of like saying the beginning of the next week. The beginning of the next week, there's a new start again. We should take from that that for doubters, there are new starts available in Christ that this new week was the time when Jesus was going to appear to Thomas. But we should also take from that that sometimes it takes a while for our doubts to be resolved. The disciples told, told Thomas eight days earlier, we've seen the Lord, and Thomas had to wait eight days to see Jesus. And that doesn't fly well with us sometimes in our instant gratification world. We want results now. We want our questions answered this moment. Eight days later, later, Jesus comes to Thomas. So sometimes our doubts take a little while to, to be resolved. And some of you have been wrestling with doubts for much longer than eight days. But Thomas this time is waiting for Jesus. Why? Because he wants to be where Jesus is. And so Thomas is with the disciples. He's waiting for Jesus. This is another thing that we can garner from this is that When we have doubts, we want to wait for the Lord in the midst of our doubts and expect for Jesus to resolve them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, I love this. This is a repeat of what Pastor Trey uh, preached on last week, and you can check out his sermon if you missed it. That phrase, Peace be with you, that Jesus again appears and, and, and blesses the disciples with his peace that there's a ministry of blessing with this peace. That Jesus came, and again, the doors are locked. We we learn from that that the resurrected Christ is not held to the same restrictions that the uh, pre-resurrection Christ was, but rather that he stood among them. I also am interested in the fact that the doors were locked because the disciples probably were still fearful for their lives at this time. So you have a room full of, Uh, people that are afraid and doubting, Thomas at least, and there may have been others, that are waiting for Jesus to show up. One of the things that I take from that is that we wanna be a people who expects for Jesus to show up in our midst and resolve our doubts. We don't know how he's gonna do it, we don't know when he's gonna do it, it may take some time, but we're waiting on Jesus to be the one who resolves our doubts. And so Jesus came, he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Now, that word peace, and Trey talked about this last week, the only other thing that I want to say is that in the midst of our conflict and our turmoil and our fear and our doubts and our questions, what more do we want in that moment than peace? We want to stop wrestling. And Jesus grants that peace with his very presence and his very words. Jesus comes to the doubter in the midst of his or her doubts. Verse 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, now I love this, maybe not everything is recorded, but it looks a whole lot like Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed in the midst of his doubt. Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put your hand and place it in my side. Jesus knows exactly what Thomas is wrestling with and exactly what it's going to take for Thomas's doubts to be relieved without anything being said by Thomas to Jesus. Now, it's possible the disciples have relayed this information. It's possible that some things are not recorded here, but I take from this that Jesus knows exactly what we need in the place of our doubt Maybe even better than ourselves. Probably, yes, even better than us. That he knows exactly what we need. And so Jesus invites the doubts of Thomas Thomas, to be uh, engaged with. Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. He doesn't run away from our doubts. But rather, Jesus invites us to explore the doubts because the answer is not something that is going to make Jesus out to be ashamed. So he leans into Thomas and Thomas' doubts and asks Thomas to lean into him and put and feel the evidence of the reality and truth of his resurrection. Now, for those of us that are in this room that need these kinds of handles in our lives, we might actually be jealous of Thomas in this moment that Jesus showed up to Thomas in this way. But we can't demand of Jesus that he shows up to us in certain ways. It's by his grace and his mercy that he does. What we can rest assured in is knowing that he will reveal himself to his church. And he does so in this situation. And then Jesus says this, do not not, uh, disbelieve, but believe. I, I love this statement because disbelieve is a very active word. He's, he's, he's saying that Thomas has been participating in disbelief, that Thomas has actively been trying not to believe. And sometimes you may find yourself in that, ca- in that case as well, But there may be times in your life that you just don't want to believe. It's a very active word. And Jesus is contrasting this with that belief of faith, knowing that faith is what's going to relieve the doubt in the end. And it's so gritty. It's so gritty that Jesus actually asks Thomas to do this. It's rooted again in reality. A little bit later, we'll take communion. and, And part of the reason that we do this is because it's a tangible, physical example of a spiritual reality that is the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That by taking the the cup and by taking the bread, we are having a physical reality of a spiritual implication. And so Thomas is invited to lean into the doubts. And we can rest assured that for any of you that are facing doubts this morning, that Jesus invites you to bring them to him. The result of this, after Jesus saying, Do not disbelieve, but believe, In other words, don't be actively fighting against belief, but be investing in belief. It's pretty cut and dry there what Jesus is asking Thomas to do. In verse 28, Thomas answered him and says, My Lord and my God. We take from this proclamation of faith from Thomas that sometimes our doubts can result in greater faith and greater assurance of salvation. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. It's actually the only time in the New Testament that the word Yahweh is used for Jesus. And it's from Thomas, the doubter. That that Thomas is actually saying, you are my salvation. You exist. You are uh, the I am that I am. You are the one who has been my salvation from all eternity. We take from that that though you have doubts, there is a possibility of the doubter being saved. Nobody is too far gone. And Thomas is blessed with this proclamation of salvation. My Lord and my God, Thomas is placing himself under the authority of the risen Jesus Christ in that moment. Now, contrast this with what the men have been covering in the James uh, study on Monday mornings and that is that uh, even the demons believe and shudder that Jesus is is Lord. The demons have a a, a knowledge, a a head knowledge of of who Jesus is and that he is Lord. In this moment, Thomas is proclaiming the authority of Jesus over his life, that he is saying, this risen Christ now has authority over me. Though I have been a doubter, Jesus, Jesus' authority, his death, Burial and resurrection have authoritative power over my life. My Lord, my God. Not just the Lord and the God. My Lord and my God. That Thomas is placing himself under the authority of Jesus in that moment. Now, Jesus responds in this way in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I oftentimes read this verse as a real rebuke of Thomas or that Jesus is scolding Thomas in this moment. Now you believe kind of thing. And I think there might be some of that there, that Jesus is saying, "Uh, I'm I'm thankful that you've finally come to this place of belief. But I, I read this verse much more gently now. As we have been working through the Gospel of John, there are times that Jesus has, has been angry. There are times that Jesus has rebuked the Pharisees and other religious leaders. But that doesn't sound like that here. Here, this sounds very much so like, John, uh, like Jesus is, at, recorded by John, that Jesus is welcoming Thomas back in by saying, now you believe. Now you believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who have believed without seeing. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why is there a blessing for those who believe without seeing? Well, one, that's all of us. That's there, and John's aware of his audience. That's there because Jesus wants us to know that we'll be be blessed even though we have not physically seen Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. That if you have belief in this room without seeing Jesus, that there is a blessing for you. Think about what that blessing might be. That blessing might be that you can rest in the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, with doubts, we want to welcome people to ask questions, be open and honest, voice your concerns. But if we're honest, that process is exhausting. You're wrestling You're wrestling with these these concepts. And if there's ever something about God that maybe you haven't quite figured out, you're trying to wrestle with, that can be tiring. Many of you will recall the story in the Old Testament in Genesis of Jacob wrestling with God all night. That Jacob's wrestling with God all night and saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. And in that process, God touches the hip of, of, of Jacob and Jacob walks with a limp the rest of his life but he got God's blessing. So it's not the case that even if you wrestle, you're not gonna be blessed. But think about the blessing that is for those who believe without all the wrestling. God is saying, this is true, and you're blessed because you've believed it. And wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to walk with a limp for the rest of your life because you've been questioning God so much? I think that's a helpful helpful experience for us that Jesus is not condemning Thomas to not being blessed but he's saying that there's a blessing in believing what God says is true simply because it's true. And so those people are blessed that have believed without seeing and there's a blessing for you in this room that have not seen Jesus but yet have put your faith in him. Verse 30 now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I love that John includes this at the end of chapter 20. He also includes something like this at the end of chapter 21, where he says, and we'll get there in, uh, soon, where he says, all the book, uh, even if... Um, all the books in the world wrote about Jesus and what he did, the whole world would not be able to fill, or have enough books to write what he did. In other words, it's a way of saying that Jesus is infinite and uncontainable by any singular book or story. This book points us to Jesus, and we can see Jesus through this book, but no book could contain all of the things that he possibly is and has done and can, and, and can do for us. And so John includes this here, and he says this. Not, uh, Jesus did many other signs. I think it's there to describe the vastness and infinitude of God, but I think it's also there so that we would know that Jesus didn't just appear to a handful of people after, after his res- resurrection. How many of you know that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people? Right? And over a period of many days, the reason we, we, we sell, the reason we celebrate um, uh, the ascension of Christ and, the, and many, many church calendars actually walk you through that time period after Easter where there's the ascension and then there's Pentecost and et cetera, so we know that there was a lot that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And so 1 Corinthians 15 says this, and Pastor Frank actually shared the first part of this a few weeks ago. Uh, we'll, we'll read a little bit more of it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 8. though some have fallen asleep. And I love that most of whom are still alive because a dead witness is not actually as helpful as an alive witness. (laughs) And Paul is saying there are people who are still alive at the time of this writing that saw Jesus after his resurrection. 500, at least. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So Paul has eyewitnesses as well. Why is that important? It's important because it wasn't just that a few disciples made up the story of the resurrection, but it's important that many folks over a, over a span of many days saw the resurrected Christ and the things that he did in response. Now, there's another thing that's written here as well. If John had continued to write all of the things that Jesus did after the resurrection, we, a doubter might say, Well, if I only had one more story of what Jesus did after his resurrection, then I would believe. I'll believe it when I see it. But Jesus spoke to this as well, and he said this a wicked generation asks for a sign. He called it the sign of Jonah, and he said, I'll only give this sign that on the third day, the Son of Man will be raised again. In other words, Jesus is saying that if you didn't believe the resurrection, you're not going to believe any of these other things that Jesus did either. And so I think John knows that he doesn't need to write down all of the other things after the resurrection, that Jesus did a ton of other things. He appeared to more than 500 people over a span of many days. There's people that have written outside of the Bible, non-believers, Jewish writers, Josephus, that have written about the resurrection, Eyewitnesses at the time of Paul's letter that are still alive at that time that have seen him resurrected and that if we're unconvinced by the resurrection, no other sign is going to do it for us. Many worldviews pursue truth based on reason, testimony, and experience. Whether you are a theist or an atheist or an agnostic, whether you're a naturalist or you're a Christian, you pursue truth based on your experiences, which we've covered in this passage, testimony, which we've covered in, our, in this passage. Even in our own court system, the testimony of eyewitnesses is held extremely valuable. In the, in the scripture, it was, every matter must be decided by two or three witnesses, We tend to make our decisions as we look for truth based on experiences, testimony, and reason, what makes sense to us. The Christian worldview is no different than that, as the the Christian worldview relies on testimony and experience and reason. But what separates the Christian worldview is this, is that there's a fourth category, which is revelation, that God reveals himself, to be known to humanity in a variety of different ways. Through the word, through the scripture, through what he's done, and in these last days through his son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, buried, and risen again. And we wanna be a a people who rest and cling to that truth, the revelation of Jesus, the reason and the experience and the testimony that give us reason to overcome our doubts with truth. Now, I, I want to, as we we're wrapping up today, I want to give you some very practical things, because I think Thomas also gives us a blueprint for what we ought to do with our doubts. So here are seven things that we ought to do with our doubts. If you're a person who's experiencing doubts today, I think here are seven things that the example of Thomas gives us. First is that we want to identify our doubts, that we want to be a people who are willing to Dig into, what is it that's causing unrest in me? We don't brush it under the the rug. We actually are willing to, to, to identify and explore in ourselves what our doubts are. Second, we want to be open and honest about our doubts. We don't feel like we want to cover those up or make sure that other people don't know that I'm doubting about a certain thing. Again, the church should be the best place for your doubts to be worked out. Three, we wanna share our doubts with Jesus. We wanna go to God and say, God, these are the things that I'm wrestling with. These are the questions that I have. If you read the Psalms, uh, the doubts of the Psalter is is, is undeniable. The writers of uh, of the Psalms that are saying, Jesus, how long until you show up? For Thomas, it was eight days. For others, it was much longer. We bring our doubts to Jesus. We also want to share our doubts with the people of God. You want to share share and be open with other people around you what you are questioning and doubting. You want to surround yourself with people that will help your process, not harm your process. In other words, the people around you during your process of exploring your doubt are going to be vitally important for you. And there are people who will be helpful for you in that process, and there are others who will not. Be careful when you're working through your doubts who you actually are surrounding yourself with. That doesn't mean that you only listen to some voices and not to others, but it means that there are some people that are going to help your process and others that are going to hurt it. Number six, wrestle with your doubt uh, and ask questions. Like Jacob wrestled with God all night, ask questions, explore different voices, make sure you're gathering information, wrestle with these things, but recognize that Wrestling can be exhausting, and that at some point, if you don't believe the resurrection of Jesus, there's not going to be something else that's going to convince you of his truth. That the Spirit of God has to change your heart so that you can rest in the truth of what Jesus has given. And that's the seventh thing, is that we want to cling to the truth. We want to be a people that seek after Jesus' truth and hold on to it through all of the storms of this life and all of the things that we face, that as Psalm 119.31 says, we cling to your testimonies, O Lord. So we want to be a people that are willing to ask questions and walk through our doubts, but that are going to hold on to the truth of God. We, there may be some areas that you say, I'll believe it when I see it in this life. And if that's you, that's Okay. Allow us to be a community that will come around and help you explore the doubts that you have. I would venture to say there's probably not been a single person in this room that has had, that never had a doubt about an aspect of God or God's existence or what God can do in our lives. But our prayer today is that we would move from these doubts to resting in the truth of Jesus Christ as he comes and meets us in the place of our doubts. And that when we ask that most crucial question, did Jesus rise from the dead, we can vociferously and excitedly say, my Lord and my God, I place my trust in you today. Let's pray and we'll take communion. God, we're so thankful that you have revealed yourself through these scriptures, through what you have made Through Jesus Christ, thank you for the account of these eyewitnesses that saw you after your resurrection. Lord, we praise you that it's not just the empty tomb, that it's not just Thomas, that it's not just Mary, but that you have revealed yourself to all humanity as Lord and Savior. So God, I pray for each kind of person in the room today. I pray, Lord, for those who who do not yet believe. God, I pray that you would encourage them to wrestle with doubt. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that by your spirit, that you would help open their eyes and open their ears to your truth. God, for those that are are, uh, believers but have questions and are wrestling, I pray that you would meet them as well. Lord, that you would allow for them to see clarity and see truth. God, that you would help the church to come alongside and be encouragements in this process. Lord, and for those that are blessed by believing without these doubts, God, I pray that you would encourage them today, help them to know how important they are in the community of Christ as those who have settled and rest in the truth of Jesus, that you would help them to be encouragement to others around them. God, for all of us, we pray that you would help us move from just hearing words about you to seeing you more clearly, and that our response would be one of worship, our response would be one of obedience, and our response would be one of bringing glory to you, God the Father. Now, as we take communion, Lord, I do pray that you would bless these elements and these people, that you would allow for the bread and the cup to be... um, these natural items, these physical items to be used in supernatural and spiritual ways because of your spirit and the work that you do in our lives. Lord, help us to know that we can taste and see that you are good and that we would proclaim our belief in that today. Would you be glorified in all these things? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Friends, we'll take communion at the front. There will be those that are Serving here at the right and the left, we invite you to come down the center aisle and grab communion and come back around the outside aisles to your seats. There are those that will be praying as well on the sides that if you're a person that would love to pray with somebody today, we'd love to have you do that. And we'll respond in worship and adoration of this Jesus. And uh, God bless you as you receive these elements today.
2: empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough you came along and you put me back together every desire now satisfied here in your love Yes. (laughs)
3: We don't say amen in the worship team here. We say woohoo. That's what we say, right, Caleb? All right. Malia, Caleb, band, thank you so much for leading us today. Tyler, thank you for that outstanding message about Thomas and doubt and just always pointing us to Jesus. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Pastor Frank. I'm one of the pastors. It's actually Frank Switzer, but People call me Pastor Frank, I'm one of the pastors here too. If you're interested in being baptized on Easter, as Tyler said, I'm the one that you would connect with. We're actually going to do the baptisms on Easter during the services, so that'll be a really special time. And now I want to just send you out with this uh, blessing and this charge for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Not just today, but every day, forever and ever. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.